Good morning. It sure is good to see everybody, and it's awesome to see all everybody that's tuned in online. And I thought, you know, we've we enjoyed so much when we could just say hi to one another, greet one another, give a hug or whatever. And I'm thinking, let's give distance hug this morning. Just look around and wave at somebody. Okay? Look around. Let people know that you're glad they're here. All right. Now, wave to everybody online. Okay? We're so glad that you joined us today. The body of Christ as we come together, there's just nothing in this world that's like it, is there? And the Lord is in our midst. Looking forward to what he has for us today. Um, If you'll remember, Pastor Jared took us through uh, the rest of chapter 6. We're going to be looking at chapter 7 today. And one of the verses that he shared that's really fascinating verse, and we'll do a little bit of review. Jesus said, I'm the living bread. Evidently the yeast was still moving or something. I'm the living bread. And he's alive. And he's alive today. And I came down from heaven... If anyone eats of this bread, I'm reading verse 51 of chapter 6, he will live forever. Now that's quite a statement, isn't it? And the bread that I shall give him is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And of course Jesus was speaking about the cross of Calvary. His analogy of bread is perfect. Think about this. You can have a a loaf of sourdough bread and you can have it sitting on the table and you can be really hungry, but it's sitting on the table. You're still hungry. So you can grab that bread and, and you can take it to work with you. Put it in a bag, maybe have a sack lunch or whatever. But you never take it out of the bag. You just carry it around all day. Man, I am starving to death. I am so hungry. No. His analogy is so perfect. You can know all about the bread of life. You can look at the bread of life. You can even carry around rituals about the bread of life. But like bread, if you don't eat of the bread of life, it will do you No good whatsoever. You'll be hungry. You'll die if you don't eat. You have to eat. And Jesus was saying, you have to eat of me. You have to go to the cross of Calvary. You have to open your heart for what I've done for you. You have to do that. I will satisfy the deepest need of your heart. I will come into your life. I'll give you new life. I'll take control of your life. I'll be there for you. And he who eats of this bread will live forever. So now we move to chapter 7. And we're going to see that Jesus' brothers, number one on your list, Jesus' brothers do not believe in him, verses 1 through 9. 
as we look into chapter 7, first we'll see why Jesus left and went to Galilee. After these things, verse 1, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Days earlier, Jesus healed the lame man, remember, from at the pool of Bethsaida? The healing violated Sabbath laws. Uh, Jesus attacked their legalism by doing this, and he told them that he was the Son of God. And from his perspective, everything that he did was simply because he was following his Father's lead. It's simply like this. Like Father, like Son. His testimony inflamed their fury. They go, that's blasphemy. They wanted to kill him. They put a hit out on him. Jesus retreated to Galilee to just stay safe at that time. So, verse 2. Now we are going to see how his brothers feel about him. Now the feast... The Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. Verse 3. His brothers therefore said to him, Hey, depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples may see the works that you are doing. For, hey, if you're for real, verse 4, no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now, according to Matthew's gospel, Mary and Joseph had other children, at least four boys and two girls. This means that Jesus had half-brothers and half-sisters. Think about this. He grew up in a blended family. He went through all the things that a blended family goes through. He and his siblings knew that Joseph was not his father. They didn't have the same father. Could it be that his, his brothers and sisters really question what in the world is going on? Could it be that they almost were kind of mocking Jesus? Could it be that they're thinking, well, you know, virgin birth? What? Are they just trying to cover up a scandal? For whatever reason, they didn't believe in Jesus at this time until after the resurrection. And when Jesus died on the cross, buried for three days, rose on the third day, why? His brothers and sisters gave their heart to him. We know James was a leader of the church in Jerusalem. He stood up to the religious leaders and said, I follow the Messiah, Jesus. And Jude wrote a book of the Bible, another brother. Well, his brothers did not believe in him, verse 5. Brings us to point number 2. Evidently, Jesus' brothers had had enough. They are being a little sarcastic with Jesus. Maybe a lot sarcastic, actually. You honestly believe that you're God's son? <laughs> we think... Literally, you're a little off your rocker. If that's true, then it's time for you to put up or shut up. That's the way brothers talk to each other sometimes. So, then Jesus told them, verse 6, Then Jesus said to them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always 
ready. You, you're, you're on your own schedule. You do whatever you want to whenever you want to. And the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. He stood up to the Jewish leaders. Verse 8. You go up to the feast. I'm not yet going up to the feast. He didn't say he wasn't going. He says, I'm not yet going. My time has not yet fully come. And when he said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. So there's three feasts that every Jewish male that loved the Lord, by the law, was told to go to and be a part of in Jerusalem. And our Lord kept the law. He kept it perfectly. And so he went to Jerusalem during the feast of the Passover, the feast of tabernacles, of which this is, and the feast of Pentecost. He fulfilled the law perfectly. But Jesus was not following his brother's time, time frame or schedule. He was following another schedule, his father's. And it was a heavenly schedule. And it's a timetable that was always right on time. Number three, the next section, we learn that Jesus was taught in the school of heaven. Verses 11 through 36. Verse 11. Then the Jews sought, they sought him at the feast. Where is he? Is he, he he's always where he's supposed to be according to the law. Where is he? He, of course, didn't get there till the middle of the feast. Verse 12, And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, he's good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he's a deceiver. He deceives people. And they were listening to the religious leaders, being swayed by them. Verse 13, However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Those who believed in Jesus because of the works that he, they saw, they just kind of kept it to themselves. Verse 14. Now about the middle of the feast, well, here comes Jesus. And he comes to the temple. And he stands right up and he begins teaching in the temple. Though Jesus avoided the grand entrance and spectacle that his brothers were we're pushing him to. He now teaches boldly according to heaven's timetable and according to heaven's perfect timing. So here he is teaching in Jerusalem at the feast. And the Jews marveled, the Jews being the religious leaders, saying, how does this man know letters? How does he know all of the biblical truths that he's teaching he hasn't been part of our rabbinical schools he hasn't studied so it's the religious leaders that are taking note you see they didn't bother to go and hear what Jesus had to say but now he's in their house he's at the temple and they're hearing what he's saying and they're blown away by his knowledge Remember when he was 12 years old? He was at the temple. And they were asking him questions and he was asking them questions. And he was teaching them. And 
12 years old? Evidently, they had forgotten about that time. Well, here he is, approximately 32, 33. And they marveled. Number four, the Jews, the religious leaders, they're astounded because he had no formal training in rabbinical schools. But Jesus was taught in heaven's rabbinical school by Rabbi Father. So Jesus says, verse 16, he answered them, My doctrine is not mine, but it's he who sent me. It's the Father that's speaking through me. And we're one. If anyone wills to do his will, if you have an open heart, you'll know concerning the doctrine that it's from God the Father. Whether I, It's not I'm speaking on my own authority, verse 18. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. I'm not doing this for me. I'm sharing the Father's heart. And the Father sent me into the world for the very purpose that I might give my flesh, my blood on Calvary's tree. But he who seeks the glory of the Father, the one who sent him, is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Verse uh, Note 5. If you had an open heart for the Father, he's telling the Jews, you would recognize the Father's style in me. You'd recognize that my Father and I are one. What a wonderful balance of truth and mercy and grace our God has. And Jesus is demonstrating to us who God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is to a broken world. The real problem with these religious leaders was a heart problem. Their hearts were closed to their God. So now Jesus begins to speak directly to the religious leaders. Verse 19. Did not Moses give you the law? Are you ready for this? And he says, he's standing up in their temple, yet none of you keeps the law. Whoa, stop. Remember where he is. He's, he's having this exchange in the temple. It's a packed house. It's a feast time. Everybody's there. All of the Jewish hierarchy are on hand. They've been plotting Jesus' assassination. And so look at verse 19 again. And he says, not only do you not keep the law, why do you seek to kill me? Right to their face, standing up to them. Verse 20. Then the people that are standing around, they heard what Jesus said. And they said, well, you have a demon. You're acting like, you're crazy. What are you talking about? They're trying to kill you? Who's seeking to kill you? Well, the religious leaders, they'd put a hit out on Jesus, but, the, uh, but it was unknown to the rank and file of the Jews. The common people didn't really know what was going on. They didn't know the brewing scandal that was taking place. It was still behind the scenes. And Jesus, verse 21, answered and said to them, you know, I did one work. And you all marvel. He's talking to the common people. He says, you're paying attention to the work that I've done. But there's something going on behind the scenes that you need to be aware of. And when he turns towards the religious leaders, he lets them have it. Verse 22. 
He's talking to the religious leaders now. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. In other words, the way that you're doing the circumcision and the Sabbath and all that you're doing is just your own traditions. It's not really from God through Moses. Well, they didn't like that at all. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Jesus is pointing out their hypocrisy about the way that they're following the laws, Sabbath laws. He goes on, verse 23, If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? He says, think about it. Do you not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment? Number six, here's Jesus, our wonderful Savior, saying, does it really make sense that you circumcise and cause pain on the Sabbath, but won't let me heal someone and bring joy on the Sabbath? Well, you're not thinking straight at all. You don't know God the Father. Now, verse 25. Some of them from Jerusalem said, now these had to be the folks in the inner circle close to the leadership. Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly and they're just sitting there listening. And they say nothing to him. Do the rulers now indeed believe that he's truly the Christ? Have they changed their minds? <laughs> I think they, they, don't, they, they just don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. However, and they're being persuaded by the religious leaders, verse 27, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he's going to come from. They knew Jesus' parents. They thought they did. And they argued that Jesus, therefore, couldn't be Messiah. Verse 28, Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, So you both know me and you know where I'm from? Huh. Well, the truth is, I have not come of myself. It's not as it appears to you. But he who sent me is true. I've been sent from God the Father, from heaven itself, whom you do not know. Verse 29, but I know him, and I am from him, and he sent me. Now their, their feathers are getting ruffled. This is blasphemy in the religious leader's mind. He's claiming to be God again. Therefore, verse 30, they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Well, they're frustrated with Jesus' words. They don't have a word to say in their defense, and all they do is begin to attack him. Uh, they come after him with violence. What held them back? Well, you can see later on in verse 46 what happened, but don't go there yet. Okay? Hang, hang with me for a while. Verse 31. And many of the people believed in him. 
This makes sense. We've seen all the works that he's done. And when the Christ come, will he do more signs than these, which this man has done? Makes sense to us. And his words, they're incredible. And his knowledge of God's word, it's like, it's just who he is. And the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring, verse 32, these things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests, they go, we can't have the crowd being pulled over to him. And so they sent officers to take him. Again, they're seeking to take him out. And we, we'll see what happens a little bit later in this chapter. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me. You will not find me. Remember who he's speaking to, these religious leaders that are out to kill him. And where I am, you cannot come. Number seven, Jesus knew that he would soon go to the cross. He knew that he would be resurrected on the third day. He knew that he would ascend to his Father in heaven. And the implication of what he's saying to these religious leaders is that the Pharisees and chief priests, well, they wouldn't be joining him in heaven. And they understood what he was saying. They didn't like it. Verse 35. Then the Jews said among themselves, where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing, he said, you will seek me and not find me and where I am you cannot come. Now we go to the final section. Jesus turns ritual into reality. Verses 37 and 38. John takes us to the final day of the great feast of the tabernacles. Jesus again takes center stage. Verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. That was the feast of the tabernacles. That was when uh, Jerusalem would come together and have kind of a... a, a a, na a national family camp. They'd build little booths. Uh, the Israelites, they were 40 years in the desert, and they were as they were going through the desert, they had to stay in tents and little booths. And so they celebrate the Lord's taking care of his people as they, as uh, on the, uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles. And they've got these little booths put up. It's now a solemn procession what's happening at the Feast of the Tabernacles each day uh, from the Pool of Siloam, from the temple, the priest would go, and number nine on your notes, the priest would fill a gold pitcher with the water at the pool, and the choir would sing, and it's from Isaiah 12. This is some of the song that they would sing. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. So all of this is going on. Jesus is standing up, and he's going to speak in just a moment. And they would return to the altar, to the temple. They would go 
procession and everyone would follow them and then they'd get the water and they'd bring back the water to the temple. And when they got back to the temple, they would pour out the water on the altar. And the ritual was a reminder of the water from the rock in the wilderness that the Lord provided for literally the millions of, of his people that were in the desert. Exodus speaks of this time. Uh, Exodus 17, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, and the people may drink. And so Moses struck the rock in the sight of all the elders of Israel, and the people drank. And Psalm 78, He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink in abundance, like the depths. He also brought streams out of the rock and caused the waters to run down like rivers. And Paul to the Corinthians says that rock was Christ. It was Jesus himself in the wilderness, the pre-incarnate Christ, Paul says. So now we've come to this last great day of the feast. And they're carrying the water. And they have a double portion of the water. It's, it's, the, it's the climax of the feast. And so they've got the water and they're carrying the water. And they're ready to pour out the water. And as they're pouring out the water, Jesus stands, verse 37, and he stood and he cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Number 10, Jesus' pronouncement is astounding. It's unmistakable. He says, I am the Holy One of Israel in your midst. I am the rock of your salvation. I am life and life eternal. And it was when the ceremonial water was poured out that Jesus offered to make their ritual a reality. Jesus' analogy of water is perfect. So, I've got this water. I'm really thirsty after speaking. I'm, and the smoke and, and all. I'm, I'm just so thirsty. My, my throat, I can begin to feel it getting scratchy. I need a drink. Oh, water. I needed this water. But I might need it again, so I'm just going to carry it with me today. And if I don't take a drink of this water, it's not going to help me. But there is Jesus and he's standing as they're pouring out that water, the ritual. And he says, drink of me. Oh, that's good. Drink of me. Come to me. Be filled with me. I will go to the deepest recesses of your soul 
I will be a part of everything you are. You'll be born from above. And not only that, it's living water. And it's water that will come from heaven and fill you from the inside out. You know, you can go to church and you can know all about the living water. You can hear about the living water from when you were just a a little guy or gal in Sunday school. And you can make up your mind, "I, I want to be a follower of that guy that they're talking about. And I want to do the very best that I can to please him. I want to I want to be a good boy, a good girl. I want to be a, a teenager that that lives the way they're supposed to live. I want to be a, an adult that's doing the very best I can for my family and I, I've learned about this Jesus. And and I want to I want to follow him. I want to do the best that I can. But Jesus says you can know about me. And you can even kind of carry me around with you. But if you don't go all the way to the point of taking a personal drink of me. Oh, thanks, I needed that. Thirsty? Well, Jesus says, the Bible says, if you're thirsty... Revelation 22, the spirit and the bride say come and let him who hears come and let him who thirsts come and whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Jesus says you have to personally take in what I've done for you on the cross. You have to personally open your heart's door. Everything we do as a church can become a ritual. And it's good. But it's not enough. It's not enough. You have to be born from above. You have to open your heart. You have to take the living water of Christ. His body. His blood that was shed on the cross. You have to partake of Him. And whoever partakes of Him, Jesus says, you will live forever and not only that, the water of life will begin to flow up inside of you and give you life and give you hope and give you a future and give you the assurity of eternal life. Lord, as we sing this song, Lord, if there's anyone who's going through the ritual, doing the best they can, but just kind of struggling, not really getting it, May, may today be the day when ritual we will be re- turned into reality by you as they open their hearts door to simply saying, okay, Lord, I, I want you in my life. I don't want to just go through the motions. 
I want you to come in. Hold, I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice. Opens the door, I will come in. And I will sup with him and he with me. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? Let's stand and worship him who gave everything.